Do you miss the taste of homemade cookies and perhaps granola that you grew up on? Well, allow me to introduce you to Grapow. Go to JimmyLovesGrapow.com and you'll find out about this sweet and salty cookie granola. It's got really delicious cookie chunks all in it, you guys, with lots of bold flavors. I love eating Grapow like cereal with unsweetened almond milk or coconut milk. And you can even use it as dessert with that keto ice cream from my cookbook, Grapow. Doesn't have any GMOs, doesn't have soy or grains or sugar or any of the other stuff that we don't eat on a ketogenic diet. And best of all, I love that it is full of 85% healthy fats. Go to JimmyLovesGrapow.com, that's G-R-A-P-O-W, enter the coupon code Jimmy at checkout and get 15% off of your order. You're going to want to get this, you guys. It's Grapow. It's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and functional medicine practitioner Dr. Will Cole. They're here every Thursday answering your questions about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. Now, it's time to drop some keto knowledge on Keto Talk. Keto Talk. Here's Jimmy and Will. Hey, hey guys. We're back here on episode 105 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, itsketotalk.com. And if you'd like to connect on Facebook, well, so do we. We have a, an official Facebook page for this here podcast, ketotalkfb.com. And that'll take you over to the Ketonian corner so that you can meet all of your fellow Ketonians and talk all you want and ask all the questions. And people are usually really helpful, Will. I, I really love that about this community that when people have questions, uh, and they've gone through it themselves before, uh, they can offer answers. So Will Cole is my co-host. What's up, Will? What's up, Jimmy? How are you? I am super duper, man. Just uh, got off of this seven-day fast I was doing, kind of tinkering a little bit with the with the fasting thing again, and it, it's showing some pretty good results. That's great. I've been following online, uh, social media, seeing this. It's great. It's I'm excited for you. I think part of the challenge of those of us in this health community, and you do this a lot as well, traveling so much, it's hard to fit in these little modalities that you know can move the needle in your health. And yet, if you're home and you're able to fit this in, why wouldn't you? And so the, the lesson for me is maybe make purposeful pockets of not being traveling so much um, is kind of a key for me to help keep my weight and health in order. Yeah, traveling can really derail a lot of people out there. Um, yeah, so it's definitely something that I I look forward to when the months that I don't travel. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Although I've seen you traveling and you're doing yoga and you're doing meditation <laughs> and all these things. So you kind of have little mitigating uh, ways yeah. to, to deal with it. Maybe I'll pick your brain one of these days about some yeah. of your travel hacks and routines that you do because I'm, yeah. I'm sure you go through – uh, various things to help mitigate the damage that would be done. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But let's get to today's show. And uh, last week we brought back something that we did when you first started uh, being my co-host many moons ago now. And it, you liked it and you're like, hey, let's do that again. So the it's hot topics. You really like this kind of quick rapid fire topics that are kind of controversial sometimes. Sometimes they're just of interest and common questions. So I have five of them for you today. You ready? 
Um, let's go. All right. So the first one is, are your thyroid numbers supposed to dip below the lab ranges when you go keto? And is this normal? Because a lot of people, they go ketogenic and then they see like a TSH drop below what is considered normal level for the labs. And they go, oh, no, I'm now hypothyroid. But the low level on their uh, thyroid marker doesn't necessarily mean that something's wrong, right? Not necessarily, yeah. So uh, every lab is a snapshot in time. Uh, and if you went to the lab like a dozen times or however many times you would want to go <laughs> during this hypothetical scenario, if you went multiple times throughout the day, you would see a different TSH and T4 and T3 throughout the whole day. So it's it's important to kind of see trends and put it in context with how the patient is feeling and run a full thyroid panel. So TSH is one of those numbers that, you know, even people in the health world can get it confused. It's inversely proportional. So meaning that a low TSH is actually normally a sign of hyper or overactive thyroid issues. And if it's because it's a pituitary hormone, really, it's right. the thyroid stimulating hormone. Um, and it's, so if it's high, it means the pituitary gland of the brain is screaming at the thyroid to work more. But again, you cannot hang your hat on just a TSH. You want to look at T4 and the total total of T4 and the free T4, and then same with T3, the total T3 and free T3. And something we've talked about in previous episodes is reverse T3, which in states of inflammation, the, the, the body can make more of this unusable form of, of T3. So looking at reverse T3, which can cause low thyroid symptoms, even despite a normal TSH. And then of course, there's thyroid antibodies um, um, ruling in Graves disease or Hashimoto's uh, autoimmune thyroid issues as well. So yes, uh, to answer the question head on, um, uh, is that the it's you when the body is more efficient, when the body is using fuel more efficiently, yeah. when inflammation is lower in the context of a healthy ketogenic person, um, the body needs less gasoline many times. So you could ha have lower levels of of, of uh, thyroid hormones, and you could have a more even um, a slightly off TSH from the labs reference range, but the patient's fine. The patient's not going through any major health issues. They feel fantastic. They don't have any low thyroid symptoms. They're not fatigued. Right. They're not losing their hair. So all of these things in patient's health history or your health history, whoever's listening out there, is important. Um, so yeah, it's a snapshot and it's really not a major thing to worry about. And I don't see this just with the ketogenic diet, but at lower carb diets in general can um, make slightly lower thyroid hormones and that's okay in many cases, but it's important to put it in context. Well, I think one of the challenges just in general with health markers and seeing lab ranges, most patients don't realize what those lab ranges actually mean and so they see it outside the norm and they wonder what's wrong with them. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that's part of what's feeding into this. Oh, my gosh. You know, why is this keto diet making my thyroid bad again or something like that? So, yeah, uh, exactly. it's, a, it's a good reminder that lab ranges really don't necessarily apply. And I know you talk about looking at functional ranges, which are far different than what the lab ranges might be. Right, because uh, lab reference ranges, most of them are based on 
a statistical bell curve of people who go to labs. The people that go to labs aren't the healthiest bunch of people. Not usually. So <laughs> yeah. So it's the functional range, which typically is a thinner, tighter range within the larger reference range. Not always. Like cholesterol is a good example of that, um, where it would not be a tighter range within it. It would be actually a bigger range. But um, most of them are this finer interval of numbers of where your body is thriving. That's the functional range. And, you know, there's a lot of resources out there to kind of look at where the functional range is, depending on what lab you're talking about. So, Will, how often do they update the lab ranges? Because if it's always of the people that go get labs, I mean, I think about myself. I run a lot of labs on myself. Uh, at, you know, when all the N equals one testing and things that I do. And so my numbers will tend to be probably better than someone who went to get numbers run simply because they were sick and they're trying to check on things. So do they up the, update those annually? I don't know if it's annually because I actually I look at labs every hour of my life, but it's and I don't <laughs> see them changing that much. No. So I'm sure they tinker with them here and there. But I don't see any major uh, shift in the reference ranges used. And it's interesting because even if you go to another lab location within the same lab company, you will you may see the reference ranges will vary because um, sometimes they base it on just location because most of my patients are in other states and countries. So that reference range, even if it's a quest, you'll see the reference range will vary vary from lab to lab. It's interesting yeah. uh, the way that we do it. It's not standardized. It's not based on optimal health. It's sort of this sort of weird algorithm of the average person that's going to labs. It's it's quite interesting. Like everything else in the mainstream medicine world, it's just yeah. whacked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which exactly. is why we love functional medicine, because it does open people's eyes to a different world that they're not getting from their mainstream doctor. Yeah. Well, let's get to the next hot topic. That was a big one, the first one. Uh, this next one, can the inflammation from a cond condition like fibromyalgia make it difficult to produce ketones? And I guess the inference in this hot topic is if you have higher uh, pain and inflammation, that that would raise cortisol levels and insulin, and that that in turn would be what would kill your ketones. Is that what happens? Yeah, inflammation can definitely uh, damper someone's ability to uh, make optimal ketones and to fuel their body with it because inflammation messes up your metabolism. Basically, your body is in this, this sort of straight, uh, stressed out, fight or flight, sympathetic um, mode, metabolically speaking. And inflammation can impact that. Imp inflammation can do a lot of things. I mean, your body's going to spike cortisol because of that inflammation. And cortisol is an immunosuppressant. It's actually an anti-inflammatory, but it's a stress hormone. And that sort of stressed out brain adrenal axis, the cortisol spikes and dips, this sort of roller coaster. And that's going to impact your blood sugar and, and your insulin levels too. So this is all a sort of a cocktail for not the best metabolic place for ketones to be optimal. So yes, it definitely can make some people more, and make it more difficult for them to produce ketones. And that's a frustrating thing for somebody that's maybe, maybe just starting off on their keto walk and they're seeing, you know, they're not seeing the results they're looking for, right. or they, it looks on paper, they're doing everything right. But it's these health issues sometimes that are the impediment to them achieving uh, a metabolic ketosis. I think sometimes keto is kind of put as an all or nothing type of thing in people's minds of, well, I'm going to try this keto to help with this inflammation with my fibromyalgia. And then they quit two weeks later because it quote, didn't work for them. 
And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, keto is very anti-inflammatory, but it does take time, especially when you're doing it with real food and nourishing your body properly. What are some other things people could do in addition to their diet um, to help lower the inflammation that could make those ketones start producing again? Well, I think it's good to get a baseline for what they're going up against and seeing, well, it, are they in a state of inflammation? What is spiked? What's causing the inflammation? Um, so we talk about it a lot, but it's it's not because it's it's because it's really important. And, and looking at gut health, looking at the microbiome and these sort of gut centric our gut originating um, sources of inflammation is one thing that we see and looking at methylation and homocysteine levels to gauge that sort of inflammation. And yes, we went homocysteine un under seven and C-reactive protein. We went under one. So getting a baseline for what your inflammation levels look like is a good starting point. And then, you know, working on these things, either supporting inflammation or bringing um, bringing CRP down, bringing homocysteine down and, and healing your gut. All of these things that we've talked about in previous episodes is important to get your body metabolically being able to, to be metabolically healthy. And even if the ketones are struggling to get there, if you start with a CRP of seven, for example, and then you're able to within three months to get that down to four, Trust me, your body is about to just have a huge breakthrough because that's positive movement in the right direction, even if you're not seeing the ketones show up on a meter. Exactly. And just maybe put for people to put in context with the fact that these tip things we're talking about, these chronic inflammatory issues, whether you're diagnosed or not diagnosed, um, these are chronic issues typically, and they take years to get to where they're at now. And yeah. it's it's not... Uh, it's not going to do you any good to get impatient with this and say, oh, I'm going to you know, throw it all out. It didn't work in a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. It really can take a long time, relatively speaking, meaning months and months and months to really make some gains and start seeing considerable momentum because it's, you're talking about decades of metabolic derangement and what inflammation issues that people have to undo. Not everybody, but a lot of people, especially the people that I, I talk to. Well, the instantaneous uh, gratification factor pops in. Oh, come on, Dr. Cole. I know I spent three decades making this happen. Can't you undo it in two weeks? <laughs> yeah, uh, right. The magic bullets are like the American way, but it's it's not always the case. That's right. Well, let's get to the third hot topic. And this is a fun one because I have a little experience with this one. What impact on your blood sugar and ketone levels does a steam room or an infrared sauna have? Now, I own a far infrared sauna and I get in that bad boy and I've actually tested my blood sugar before going in. And then as I'm in there and, and then coming out like 10 minutes later, 10, 15 minutes later, and will, it's amazing. Like clockwork, it will drop 10 to 15 points. Blood sugar. Yeah, yeah. pretty yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, I know of some studies. It was, I think, it was done on mice, but it was shown like mice that were diabetic were given like thirty minutes, I think, of sauna treatment three times per week for a couple of months. And what they saw was just what what I see patients see too. I mean, a significant decrease of insulin levels, a significant decrease of blood sugar levels to healthy levels. With which are both signs of insulin gained insulin sensitivity or decreased in insulin resistance. Um, and the mechanism that's at play here 
for the science geeks out there is an increase in what are, what's called GLUT or GLUT4 transporters, which is this sort of glucose transporter protein, yep. um, which is a good thing. It's, it's, it's allowing glucose to be in the cell. It's decreasing insulin levels. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a tool that I use in my own life and that I've seen amazing success similar to yours in my patient's life as well. So you use this pretty regularly with your patients? I do. I do definitely. So most are virtual. So I find like a sauna, uh, like a a center in their town for them to go to, or I give them resources to buy one of their own if they, if they want to invest in that, which can be great. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. I have a solo system. I think we talked about this in previous episodes, but it's a solo system. It's because I don't have a lot of space in my, you know, house with like two kids and dogs and stuff. So I just have this collapsible one. It's quite nice. It's not taking up a lot of space. And yeah, it's by um, Sunlighten. Yeah, I'm looking into one now that has not just, uh, it's not a far infrared, it's a near infrared. uh, And then they also add EMF blocking. So uh, I'm, I'm talking to them now about uh, getting one of those to put somewhere. It's just, there's just too much positive stuff that can happen to your health with the infrared and the EMF blocking and, and all those things. Cause all of yeah. that does impact your blood sugar. As far as blood ketone levels go, they actually temporarily go down while you're in the sauna. And I assume it's because the sauna is a stressor and that would mm-hmm. lower um, you know, ketones in the process of doing that. But then once you're out of the sauna, they go right back up again. Right. Right. And it, it also increases sauna use, increases autophagy, which is sort of yes. our cellular repair. You mean um, I don't so, have to fast for a week? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I would say it's, yeah, it's all these cool tools that you can use to increase autophagy, like yeah. fasting, like ketosis and like saunas. Pretty neat. Yeah. I, I was in that sauna every day during my fast and yeah, I, I I assumed I was probably helping the autophagy process, but you just confirmed it. So thank you. Yes, yes. Confirmed. So the fourth hot topic, and we're spending a lot of time on these, but it's good stuff. Does exercising allow me to uh, consume more carbs while still maintaining a state of nutritional ketosis? And I, I will probably give the caveat, uh, it depends on how yeah. much, how intense, what kind, what your metabolic state is. If you're insulin sensitive versus insulin resistant, is that kind of all the where you were going with this? Yeah, I, I would say in theory, if you are insulin sensitive and relatively healthy, yeah, you're right. It, it would allow you to consume more carbs in theory, but would still remaining in ketosis. The more we exercise, the more it depletes our body's energy reserves, including glycogen. Um, So the more glycogen we deplete through exercise and depleting that, the less our body has for available energy and kind of helping with uh, shifting metabolically to ketosis. Um, So yeah, I I think, but it's also important to talk about what type of carbs we're talking about and are they coming from real foods? Are they coming from vegetables? I think all of that's important, but in theory, if you're just talking about the macronutrient in carbs and keeping it simple, yeah. Uh, if you're burning more fuel, uh, it's going to help you in the long run. But we know that it's not, we're talking <laughs> in context of a real food 
or foods in general, a whole food. And some of those foods create inflammation and it's not good. And it's beyond the carb content. It's like the proteins and these additives and all this other junk uh, that in the long run, it's not going to benefit you to just say, well, I'm working out more or I'm running more. I can increase my carbs and it's, it's garbage, you know? Yeah. Well, we have one more hot topic and this was kind of an interesting one because a lot of people say, well, I have an elevated level of insulin when I go see uh, my doctor, but I've been fasting before that test. Why would it still be high? So the question is, why does the body have insulin at higher levels when you're in a fasted state for like one of these blood tests when there's no food? So they can't understand why is there insulin present in higher amounts like mine, for example, in a fasted state, somewhere between 11 and 14 generally, which is a little higher than you would want it. So what's going on? Why is the insulin higher? Well, fasting under normal circumstances should normalize insulin levels. I mean, that's one of the benefits of fasting is you're bringing uh, insulin down, you're bringing inflammation levels down, all that good stuff that comes along with fasting, largely to do with normalizing insulin levels. But Um, prolonged fasting, prolonged ketosis, um, for some people can bring about a phenomenon known as physiological insulin resistance, which we've talked about previously, but it is a normal adaptation to your, basically your body's own mechanism to preserve glucose to our brain, which we need to function. Um, and so what happens is something called peripheral insulin resistance occurs in our muscles, skeletal muscles primarily, to basically allow and shunt more glucose to the brain to get because even though our body, our brain uses beta hydroxybutyrate as fuel, it still uses glucose. So it's your body's checks and balances to get make sure that the any extra glucose is going to um, to the brain. And that's why you have the dawn phenomenon. That's why you can have slightly higher insulin levels when you're going for fasting for a blood uh, test or your prolonged fasting. Um, But it's important to look at the totality of the other labs to see what's going on there. So looking at triglycerides, making sure they're below 100 and high HDL. And there's no pathological insulin resistance markers um, to be seen. Right. Yeah, in the Keto Cure, Dr. Nally and I talk about this phenomenon and we describe it as a glucose sparing effect. I think sometimes when you use insulin resistance, even if you put physiologic in front of it, it kind of confuses people because they're like, oh my gosh, I've made myself diseased because of my ketogenic diet. And so glucose sparing effect kind of shows you exactly what it does. It's basically holding aside the glucose your body would need for all those glucose dependent functions. And so... Uh, I guess terminology can be confusing or clarifying, I guess, depending on your perspective. No, I I agree with you. It it is. It's a glucose bearing. It's a good descriptive term. I like that. Thank you. Well, we're going to pause here, you guys. We'll be right back with today's health headlines. Hey, guys, I've got a great new product to tell you about here today that is the first all-in-one keto meal that gets its nutrition from quality real foods. It's called Ample K. Go to amplemeal.com, enter the coupon code MORE15, that's M-O-O-R-E-1-5 at checkout, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Ample K is the first complete keto meal that gives you all the healthy fats in a powdered mix-on-the-go 
format. It will help you stay in ketosis with just six net carbs for a 400 calorie meal. It is packed with MCTs for enhanced ketone production and 70% of the calories come from fat, which will help you satisfy your hunger, give you energy throughout the day and keep you in ketosis. It also is good for the gut health and they put 40 billion CFU probiotics in every meal. Again, it's called Ample K. Go to amplemeal.com and be sure to enter the coupon code MORE15 at checkout for 15% off of your first order. Ample K. If you're a fan of fat, then you need to try the F-Bombs. Go to JimmyLovesFBomb.com, enter the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb, and you'll get 20% off of your first order. So what are these F-Bombs? They are nut butters, and they have incredible combinations of coconut and macadamia nut, macadamia nut butters, and my favorite is salted chocolate macadamia nut butter. They also have several oil blends including the house blend, the MCT oil, as well as coconut oil. If you want your fat on the go, then you need to check out JimmyLovesFBomb.com. And once again, use the coupon code JimmyLovesFBomb. You'll get 20% off your first order. JimmyLovesFBomb.com. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. My name is Jimmy Moore, international bestselling author of Keto Clarity and the Ketogenic Cookbook. And we're here with Dr. Will Cole. We're going to look at the headlines now, Will, because this is always a fun part of the show because we see what's making news out there. And there's a lot of news with keto. But this first one, I couldn't help but talk about this one. This one's from the Annals of Internal Medicine. Hemoglobin A1C targets for glycemic control with pharmacologic therapy for non-pregnant adults with type 2 diabetes mellitus a guidance statement update from the American College of Physicians. And so they did this uh, update, and if you'll scroll down, they have four guidance statements. Guidance number one, clinicians should personalize goals for glycemic control in patients with type 2 diabetes on the basis of a discussion of benefits and harms of pharma, uh, pharmaceutical drugs, uh, patients' preferences, patients' general health and life expectancy, treatment burden, and costs of care. All right, that's pretty good. I like that. Guidance statement number two. Clinicians should aim to achieve an A1C level between seven and eight in patients with type 2 diabetes. Uh, would Dr. Will Cole agree with that? <laughs> no. No. Uh, nobody <laughs> in functional medicine would. But it's so funny because it's the they're talking about in, in the context of giving medications and shoving blood sugars down artificially with pharmaceutical drugs. Yes. Um, and they mentioned the ACCORD study, the Action to Control Cardiovascular Risks in Diabetics, which was published years ago. Um, and they had, they showed in the ACCORD study and other studies like it, uh, they mentioned in this article, is that you cannot tightly control A1Cs, blood sugars, blood pressures with these pharmaceutical drugs uh, you're actually increasing risk factors. So they're telling yeah. basically the the takeaway is the drugs don't work. The people, yeah, they, they actually say that clinicians should consider de-intensifying pharmacological therapies. Yeah, that's statement number three there. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you were going to get to that. But basically, I, was there. Yeah. I just stole your thunder. <laughs> Sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> no, no worries. So, I, so the yeah. seven to eight is insane. But then, yeah, that guidance statement number three, clinicians should consider de-intensifying 
pharmaceutical drug therapy in patients with type 2 diabetes who get their levels less than 6.5. So they think it's a bad thing that the patient goes below 6.5. They would freak out at my 4.8 A1C. I'm not type 2 diabetic, but those people that do eat a ketogenic diet can naturally bring their A1C down without pharmaceutical drugs well below that 6.5 threshold. Yeah, and I think it's important. I use this word way too much on this show, but context matters. And I think that you look at a 4.8 A1C on five medications to get it there and a 4.8 A1C just naturally because they're eating healthy and they're taking care, taking care of themselves like yourself or anybody that's listening, let's just say a lower normal A1C. That imp- that's important because what the research shows is that an A1C isn't equal to an A1C. And what is it taking to get there? Because the lower A1Cs with that's taking more medications to get it there, they're actually at an increased risk factor for having heart attacks and strokes and dying. Yes. Um, even though on paper, the A1C looks amazing. But was, yeah, well, they're on five medications to get it there. And you can see the diabetics that are on insulin, they're pumping, you know, three times a day with all this Humalog or Novolog or Levamir or Atlantis. They're also the ones with that are having risk factors for a lot of health problems. But their A1C is typically more tightly controlled than somebody on less medication that's on oral medication. So it's important to know you cannot medicate your way into health. It and reminds we, me of the people that take a statin drug and lower their cholesterol very low, like 130 and their doctor's so proud of them. And then next week they have a heart attack and it kills them. Mm-hmm. And they wonder what in the world happened. They had perfect numbers. They did everything quote unquote right. And yet this still happened. Yeah, it is a shame. So hopefully, I mean, you're reading this and the, basically the average person is going to say, well, I can have a higher A1C now because yes. <laughs> that's the goal. Well, that's actually not the goal. What it's saying is that the the treatments really aren't that good. And that's the best option you have in the standard model of care is basically what it's saying is don't tightly control it because you're going to have increased risk factors from the side effects of the medications. So if you want to just manage your disease and be in a mildly disease state most of your life, go to mainstream medicine. But if you want to truly optimize your health, you, you have to look outside the box of what mainstream medicine is offering, which is why we started this podcast. It's why you became a functional medicine practitioner. You wanted to see actual results in patients, not just manage their disease for the rest of their lives. Right, exactly. And then the guidance statement number four, clinicians should treat patients with type 2 diabetes to minimize symptoms related to hyperglycemia and avoid uh, targeting an A1C level in patients with a life expectancy, blah, blah, blah. So that one was okay. But that two and three, that about made me lose my lunch when I read those. (laughs) Well, let's get to the next headline. Does the keto diet live up to its hype? I tried it to find out. Uh Uh-oh. I'm a carb monster. I see bread. I eat it even if it's someone else's. Now imagine how I felt when a relative proposed that I go keto. And so she kind of goes through this whole thing about why she decided to do keto. She described a ketogenic diet for people, did a pretty good job of describing describing it. Um, you know, was questioning whether it was healthy to be giving up carbohydrates in her diet. And so I'm looking at one of her sample menu. So for breakfast one day, she had a couple of scrambled eggs, uh, fried in ghee. 
and it was topped with uh, cheese and had some green tea. That's pretty good. Uh, midday snack, a large bowl of yogurt. Didn't say what kind of yogurt, so I'm a little bit like, okay, is that Danon or is that Greek yogurt? Anyway, we'll get to that, back to that. A small green apple with peanut butter. I know they're not keto compliant, but if I really wanted to eat one, this website said I could, so I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> Lunch was two kebabs, a salad, a pumpkin ricotta soup, vegetables cooked in ghee, yogurt with spinach, afternoon snack, nuts, carrots, and cucumbers with cottage cheese, peanut butter, and green tea, and then dinner. She just repeated the lunch. Um, I'm sorry. That's not keto. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's clean. I'll give her that. It's pretty clean, and, and it looks delicious what she did. And the fact that she had to add those snacks kind of told me she didn't really get this. She also put in the article, disclaimer, I didn't follow keto to a T. <laughs> she wasn't counting macros. She wasn't, I mean, as someone, a newbie getting into this, you'd think you think she'd want to really vet this for the sake of the article. Um, yeah, she and she wasn't testing ketones either. So there's right. a lot of variables that, yeah, she cleaned up her diet, which kudos for her. I'm not shaming her for doing that's that. That's probably why she saw the results that she did. Yeah. The decent results was she just started eating cleaner and cut yeah. out the Ritz crackers and probably the Coca-Colas and those kinds of things. Yeah. Right, right. But I have to say, the author was very funny. The article was very She's hilarious. It, <laughs> yeah, very funnily written. Um, but she, de I would assume she probably wasn't even in ketosis most of that month. So, And she said, the verdict, I won't try keto again. Well, you haven't tried it yet. So, sweetheart, <laughs> go read Keto Clarity and come back and talk to me. If you truly want to get into ketosis and do it the right way. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on to the next headline. And this one is um, from Medscape. This was kind of cool, too. The ketogenic diet, which patients benefit? And so it kind of goes through um, looking at who would do well on a ketogenic diet. This is talking to medical professionals and basically outlining, okay, here, here are the patients that we know we have really good evidence that a ketogenic diet would help them. And as a practitioner, Will, I'm sure this brought a big smile to your face. I love the fact that a publication like Medscape is really informing medical professionals about the ketogenic diet. So they talk about seizure, obvious, seizure disorders, epilepsy. They talk about diabetes. I love the fact that they're starting to really talk about insulin resistance and metabolic issues. Yes. In the, this is new. Uh, they, no one's going to disagree in conventional medicine that there's a place for the ketogenic diet for seizures and epilepsy. The cool thing is that the, there's this growing amount of evidence about insulin resistance and inflammation and hormones and the brain function. This is new stuff. And exercise uh, performance. That was a biggie as well. Right. Exactly. So they're really the um, ketogenic uh, gates are widening, you know. I think because so many people are talking about it now, you've got patients going to their doctors, doctors that subscribe to this Medscape go, guys, we need some resources put out there. So I'm sure it's all kind of trickling down that way. Yeah. Well, let's get to the next one. A lot of these uh, things that we're talking about today were kind of studies or published in journals. And here's another one uh, that was published in Nutrients. Grain foods are contributors of nutrient density for American adults and help close, uh, close nutrient recommendation gaps, data from the NHANES study. 
And uh, so it's this, it's one of these little articles that comes out and there was an accompanying one. Oh, we're going to get to this study here in a minute, but let's go ahead and talk about a study now because we've been rolling on these headlines. Americans are cutting back on their bread products, but the question uh, that this study asks is, but should they be? So maybe the Atkins diet started a real revolution. Turns out the United States bread consumption is now much lower than you would expect. Contrary to popular belief, foods made from grain, such as bread, tortillas, and breakfast cereal, represent less than 15% of all calories in Americans' diets. However, Americans are getting a disproportionate amount of their healthy nutrients from grains. And, of course, it goes on to talk about uh, the 10,000 dietary surveys that were collected by the CDC and looking at it, and they bemoan that Suddenly, Will, we are now nutrient deficient because we're not eating those grains anymore. Um, do you agree? <laughs> uh, no, I don't agree. And I thought that that's a solution because the, the grains are fortified with B vitamins and other things, I'm sure, that they are saying that's a reason to go back to grains. It's like I just feel like what, what's happening here is that people are not going to real foods where those nutrients are inherently in. This is just common sense. I yes. mean, if you're talking about folate, go to foods rich in folate. Uh, why do you have to have it synthetically injected to a grain for that to solve the woes of modern health? Uh, I think that this is a but we've heard this before. I mean, this is the thing where it's like the grains are, in, are enriched with these nutrients. If we're not eating grains, how are we getting them? How about the foods where they're inherently in to begin with? Well, and they bemoan the shortfall, not just in folate, but also in iron and dietary fiber. Well, guess what, guys? If you eat a ketogenic diet and you eat meat... You just got iron. Good job. And then dietary fiber, green leafy vegetables, anyone? So it, it's always interesting. They pretend like grains are the sole source of all these mysterious nutrients that we can't live without. When in the end, if you just look around at other food sources, you'll find every single thing that they claim is only in grains in lots of other foods. Yeah, I think the problem is when people are hearing, well, people shouldn't be eating so many grains, and then they go to other boxed foods. Yes. I could see that being a problem, and they're trying to do the well-intentioned thing, but they're not going to real foods, which, you know, nobody on this show is going to say, you know, otherwise you should be starting your health journey with real foods. So, yeah, I, well, I don't think this is... And anyway. see, this is the thing that's frustrating. They sit here and bemoan and make fun of people doing the ketogenic diet. But then they say, eat your healthy whole grains. And so you can't have it both ways. You have to you have to give people the information. OK, keto does have lots of iron and folate and dietary fiber and you will get all those nutrients. But they don't tell people that they just say, eat your whole grains. And then, oh, yeah, avoid that keto diet. Something's got to yeah. give there. I'm always curious as to what fund or influence, political influence, these sort of grain studies have, you know, because there's such a powerful industry, the grain industry, the cereal yeah. industry is very powerful. Uh, so I'm not saying they subsidize this. I don't know who paid for this. Oh, I'm sure they studies, do. But even they at least on the down low or even explicitly, we've right. seen the grain industry. And keep in mind, there's only like 10 companies around the world that own every food company. That you know, every recognizable brand is basically owned by 10 companies all around the world. And so they are making buku billions upon billions of dollars annually. 
Right. So the idea that they can influence studies and the publication of certain pieces, it's not, you know, without the, you know, it's very possible. Yes. And I would say probable. Yeah. Well, we skipped uh, our first question, so let's go back and grab that one now. Sorry about that, Will. Uh, It's from Amanda. Hey, Jimmy and Dr. Will, I've been eating a ketogenic diet for the last three years and regularly see blood ketones in the range of 1.5 to 2.0, as well as blood sugar from 65 to 70. I use intermittent fasting five days a week, sometimes for up to 24 hours at a time. I've been experiencing some excruciating leg cramps at night despite what I thought was a foolproof electrolyte balance strategy, 400 milligrams of chelated magnesium prior to bedtime, bone broth with pink Himalayan sea salt throughout the day, and a half an avocado for potassium on days that I am eating. I drink half my body weight in ounces of water for proper hydration, and additionally I take essential aminos before intense workouts and L-carnitine 4,000 milligrams in the morning five days a week. So why am I still having these cramps on both fasting and feasting days? Is there something I'm missing? Thanks for helping me figure this out, Amanda. So Amanda wants to know, why am I still having leg cramps from the keto flu when I'm seemingly doing all the right things to prevent them? Is she doing all the right things? It sounds like she's doing definitely amazingly well thought out action steps to mitigate any cramping. Um, So I definitely give her kudos for that because... I mean, something to consider is we are all different with different physiological needs. So I would use a because you're doing everything right on the surface, I would say this um, to use a food tracking app like Chronometer, which we mentioned um, previous episodes to basically roughly track how much you are getting in a day as far as these electrolytes in relationship to your body size and activity level. These are important. So it may be that you're doing everything right, but you're not doing enough of it. So that's something to consider. Um, and also something that c- comes to mind when I hear this question is, do you cramp when you increase your real food, vegetable carbohydrates? Does that still happen? It doesn't seem like it the way that this question was written. So if your body allows for it, I am a fan of variability and keeping things sort of variable in someone's life for a lot of different reasons. But maybe consider trying slowly over a month slowly increasing your real food vegetable carbohydrates and see, test your ketones, test your blood sugar and see how you feel. Um, because it, I mean, unless you're okay with, let's just say the cramps are the worst thing. I would, to me, it would be a sign that something's not optimized. So that's why I would tinker with, with some of these macros, seeing if you're getting enough electrolytes, but you know, is the, are the cramps really worth it? I think it's about finding your own formula there and you can still be in ketosis, with just tweaking a few things. Well, Amanda, I hope that helps you out. And yeah, I looked at what she did and I'm like, I wouldn't do anything else different. (laughs) Yeah. And most people probably do well with what she's doing. So hopefully these things that Will talked about will help you out. But let's pause here again and we'll be right back with today's featured questions. 
Have you been interested in trying the new cutting-edge technology of exogenous ketones but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com slash Jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketone supplement you can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat ketogenic diet with perfect keto exogenous ketones will have your body running optimally. Perfect Keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors. Each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high-quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium, potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at perfectketo.com slash jimmy and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. Hi, I'm Christine Moore, Jimmy Moore's wife, and I'm here today to tell you about the Nutritional Therapy Association and why I decided to go through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. I figured, well, this will be a great opportunity for me to maybe possibly be able to help people with their nutritional issues and anything that they might be going through. Just the thought of me having to learn stuff again, it was intimidating. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. I didn't think that I would be able to retain the stuff that I was learning and I would have a hard time on the quizzes and the tests. The NTA is looking for more keto practitioners. They believe in real food. They do not frown upon good healthy fats. They believe that they should be a healthy part of the diet. The most gratifying part of the program has been getting to meet a bunch of like-minded people who are interested in nutrition. A lot of us came into this program with health issues of our own that we wanted to try to fix. The material that we're learning is just absolutely incredible. I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but going through this program, there's so much more to it than what I actually knew. We learn about anatomy and physiology, so we learn about how things work in the body, how vitamins and minerals affect the body, so it's just been a great program anyone should do this program. It's a nine-month program that can pretty much fit into anybody's schedule. I mean, we have people that have children, full-time jobs going through this, so it's very flexible with your schedule. If you're thinking about it and not sure, I would highly recommend you go through it. Join the Nutritional Therapy Association today at nutritionaltherapy.com. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. As always, go to ketotalk.com. You can see full show notes for this and every episode. And we are up to the featured questions of the day. Low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, ketogenic diet questions is what we focus on. We get a lot of questions, you guys, that are kind of off-topic of keto. I got this going on in my medical. We don't answer those. I'm sorry. That Go see your doctor if you have that kind of a question. But we do answer ones that are related to the ketogenic diet, like this one from Alex. 
hey, Jimmy and Will, I need your help determining what the correct sodium to potassium ratio should be on a zero carb ketogenic diet. So he gives a little bit of a background. I'm not going to read all of that, but it talks about that he's a weightlifter, 33 years old, five foot ten. Um, it talks about what he eats in a day, his salt consumption, his potassium. And so he says, I feel like I really have this diet bolted down, but the lack of specificity about the electrolytes in the keto community is majorly frustrating. Please drop a knowledge bomb on me. <sighs> I love that. Thanks for your help, Alex. So based on what you saw in Alex's history there, and definitely, guys, go to ketotalk.com if you want to see it all. It's very lengthy. What is the ideal ratio of sodium to potassium for someone consuming a ketogenic diet? So thanks, Alex, first of all, for giving a lot of context. He did an amazing job with detailed yeah. like aspects of what he's taking, which helps me. Um, but look, the FDA, which... We all love the FDA, right? Um, recommends about <laughs> <laughs> recommends about 3,500 milligrams of potassium uh, and about 2,400 milligrams of sodium every day for the average human being, which is about like a three to two, I believe, ratio of potassium to sodium. Yep. The, the issue with this ratio is that it really is super difficult for anyone, whether they're ketogenic or not ketogenic, to really hit those electrolyte ratio marks. Um, so this is what I would say. If you are having issues like cramping or keto flu symptoms, tracking in a food log, which I just mentioned in the last question, like chronometer or something else that tracks electrolytes, um, see where you're at. See if all the supplementation and the foods you're eating that, are, that have uh, electrolytes in them See where you're at and see if you're within the ballpark of a good kind of window of nutrient amount. Um, you can also, something super simple you could do is have your sodium and potassium tested on a blood test. That's something anybody's PCP can run. Um, and again, it's a snapshot in time. We know it's way variable, but you can at least see, is it really low or is it kind of in the middle range? Um, so that's another idea you could try. So is there some ratio? I think this is what Alex was frustrated with. He's trying to see, is there some ratio that is the ideal that you, if you have the sodium and the potassium levels in your blood ran, you know, what are you looking for? What are those numbers? What are the ratios between the two? Yeah, it's a three to two ratio. Is so the three to two is own? ideal. Yeah, three to two potassium to sodium, and that and he mentioned it in context to a zero carb ketogenic diet. Right. I don't think it's going to change. I think it's that those electrolytes, which is needed for human existence, is going to have to be somewhere around that three to two ratio. Um, and there's not a lot of studies done on this, but I would say that's going to be my general erring on the side of caution is sure. to have it somewhere within that range. Well, Alex, best wishes to you with your zero-carb keto and uh, getting this ratio down, but hopefully that helps you out. And let's get to the second featured question of the day. Bob has this one. Hey, Jimmy and Dr. Cole, I've been a carb-loading cyclist for many years. I switched over to the low-carb, high-fat diet about five months ago. My problem is that I can go out for an hour of interval training on my bicycle, and then the very next day, I'm short of breath. When going up a flight of stairs, I'm 67 years old, five foot 10 and weigh 163 pounds. I do not have any of the old cycling problems of 
blood sugar swings, and can go for many hours between getting hungry in the morning uh, or before getting hungry. So why this shortness of breath? Thanks for your insights, Bob. Uh, First of all, Bob, kudos at 67, still active. Uh, My mom's about your age, and she can't get out of the couch hardly. So it's it's amazing to see someone uh, your age doing so well actively. That's good. But he wants to know, uh, why am I short of breath the day after interval training since I shifted over from carb loading to a ketogenic diet? So I have over the years um, seen cases like this from time to time. It's not extremely common, but I hate to be redundant, but it normally is an electrolyte issue again. Um, this is the electrolyte but, episode, by yeah, the way. You guys I, didn't know that. Un- <laughs> unintentionally, uh, it just happened to be that people are kind of dealing with things that I've seen clinically have to do with optimizing electrolyte balance. Um, so when we work out, the energy demand will increase ketosis. It also increases demand of electrolytes. Um, so just like the question we talked about previously, Try supplementing with electrolytes, focus on electrolyte-rich foods. So that's specific, specifically magnesium, calcium, potassium, and sodium. Yeah. Um, and, you know, something to consider is maybe focus on increasing calories across the board the days of cycling just to make sure your body's getting more, ro- ro- more robust nutrients. Maybe it's not just electrolytes. Maybe it's protein. Maybe it's just not having enough food. Uh, make sure that you're eating until satiety. I think that's an important point too. He probably already is doing that, but just so it said. Sure. Well, Bob, I hope that helps you out. And there is this supplement uh, that this company makes called Keto Vitals that has like all the different electrolytes in it in in one little form. You can get it on Amazon. I saw it on Amazon. So uh looked pretty cool. And uh, I like that one. Awesome. But let's get to the third featured question of the day. This one is from Jan. Dear Jimmy and Will, I've been eating keto for the past year, have seen incredible effects on my weight and health markers. However, I noticed my blood pressure and resting heart rate have come way down since adopting this way of eating. My BP has always been on the lower end, but my resting heart rate is regularly now down in the 50s and sometimes even the 40s. My cardiologist said it's because of my weight loss and exercise, but this seems to have happened suddenly over the past three months. I've read various reports online stating how a low-carb ketogenic diet will make your heart rate drop to dangerous levels. And now I'm concerned. Should I be? Best regards, Jan. So Jan wants to know, does a resting heart rate in the 40s and 50s after adopting a ketogenic diet mean something bad is happening to my health? I want to chime in first. Um, People don't know this, but former President George W. Bush, he always had his heart rate uh, ran when the doctor did his checkup when he was president. He was always in the 40s, sometimes down in the 30s in his resting heart rate. That is a good thing, is it not, Will? Yeah, not by itself. It's not an issue, not at all. Um, and there be, Jan is being uh, monitored by her doctor. I see this oftentimes with people that are, like you said, losing weight, getting healthier. Um, cardiovascular training reduces heart rate. And on top of this, you're lowering inflammation levels. 
through eating a healthy ketogenic diet. So with the information I have here, it sounds like you're doing a good job. But when you get into Dr. Google land, sometimes it can scare people because <laughs> we can we can find anything we want to to like to, you know, back up our fears <laughs> online. Which, right. You know, it, well, it sounds I remember fine. back in 2004 when I lost 180 pounds doing the Atkins diet. I remember testing my heart rate towards the end of that year and I got down to 39 at one point in my heart rate. And yeah, it freaked out Christine. Cause she was like, is that good? I'm like, I don't feel bad. Does that count? <laughs> I didn't know. And so, uh, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's something to be concerned about. It sounds like with, like you said, in the context of all the other numbers happening in your health that have changed, Jan, um, it sounds like it's a very good thing that your heart's actually not having to pump as hard anymore. Yeah. Well, we are up to the Keto Talk mailbox portion of the show, and this question comes from Jeff. Hi, guys. If someone is eating low-carb but not keto, meaning between 50 to 100 grams of net carbs a day, is it still safe for them to be eating the same amount of dietary fiber as someone restricting their carbohydrates below the suggested 20 to 50 grams uh, per day on a well-formulated ketogenic diet? In other words, is a high-fat diet that is not putting you in a state of nutritional ketosis causing you more harm than good? Thanks for the clarification, Jeff. I really liked this question from Jeff. If you consume a higher amount of fat in your diet but aren't in a state of ketosis, then are you in any danger of developing disease? And I would think that the adage of if you go, if you cut down one area of your diet or increase one area of your diet, you have to either increase or decrease some other area of the macros to balance it out. Would you agree? I would agree. And I think uh, one word that you said in the question, you said fiber, and he was asking specifically about fat, I think. Um, but oh, okay, thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's all right. So just, but you, I think we cleared it up at the end. He basically wants to know, can't, do we, should he decrease fat if he's moderating his carbohydrates, which still relatively is lower 50 to 100 grams of net carbs a day i'm assuming from real foods so yeah it's gonna have to unless you're gonna increase your calories and just eat more than than you should probably yeah. which you know I'm, i don't think is a good idea but the um yeah you're gonna have to titrate the fats down a little bit just from a calorie standpoint because you probably aren't going to be hungry um and force feeding yourself just because it's healthy fats so you're gonna have to give and take some somewhere and that is amazing for some people that are still lower carb still moderate moderate carb their labs look amazing um it's not unhealthy though to eat healthy fats you're just going to have to from a caloric standpoint bring that down a little bit from a ratio because you're increasing uh the carbohydrate ratio well and here's something people forget about dietary fat it serves another purpose in slowing down the blood sugar response that would come from those carbs. So I would think at least a, a pretty good chunk of fat when you eat carbohydrate, even real food-based ones, would be a good thing because it would keep your blood sugar and ostensibly your insulin levels from going too high too fast. Yeah, exactly. And it's important though, we're not talking about any old carbs, but I would not advocate that. I think you can, at that point, there's studies to show a mixed meal, basically this sort of pro-inflammatory state that saturated fats and bad carbohydrates can have and bad carbohydrates are going to have like refined carbohydrates are going to have inflammation even without fat but what studies show is that it's even amplified amplified even more in some people when they're combining like the, the quintessential thing would be like a factory farmed 
burger from McDonald's with yeah. the bun. Um, that's like the ultimate mixed meal example. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that brings inflammation, which is no bueno when it comes to your health. So I'm dying to ask, when is the last time Dr. Will Cole has had a Twinkie or a, some kind of junk food? Honestly, it was the mid to late 90s. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I've been at this for a long time. Yes, I'm you have. Like, I, I kind of, this, I grew up in a household that was like that. But then you become a teenager and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do my own thing. Um, but yeah, but probably 1997, something like that. I went the other direction. I grew up on junk food and I'm like, hey, this is kind of cool. So when I became a young adult, I was like, oh, okay, this is how you eat. Mom and dad wouldn't have fed me stuff if it was going to kill me. And yeah, yeah, they didn't know either. So Yeah, yeah right. We can't Better late we can't, than never, right? Right. It's generational for some people, right? It's like they just... I have patients that are like, they, this is new information. They've never heard this. That's right. Um, because it's this generational just lack of information. Which is why we do this podcast, which is why exactly. both of us are authors, which is why both of us write online and voraciously uh, spread the message all across social media. There's just so many people that this is a whole new world. Th this is... Uh, uh, Narnia. For them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Aslan. Another you world. want to be Aslan. Who's the Aslan in our world? Like the, the, yeah, right. I, I won't take that credit. No, no, no. Not me either. Yeah. Well, we are up to the Apple podcast reviews portion of the show. And this one is from Topher Hollander. Great info every week. I started listening to Keto Talk about a year ago. I binge listened to the first 60 or so episodes. Felt like I had heard everything they had to say. But then by about episode 70, uh, I'm glad I held on because Dr. Will Cole came around and he is fantastic. As much as I loved Doc Nally, I felt like it was a bit much of a bro fest with Jimmy because they thought alike and had the same lovable but cheesy sense of humor. Hey, I, I specialize in cheese and it's keto. So <laughs> Dr. Cole plays a great straight man for Jimmy's humor. And yeah, I can never break Will. I try to get him to... to Cut up, but he doesn't do it. And provide solid advice even when keto may not be the answer for someone. God forbid. Keep up the great work. So, Topher, thank you for that amazing, great review. And if you want to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts, hop on over there, type in Jimmy Moore, Keto Talk, Dr. Will Cole. You will find the show, and you, too, can leave us your review. Well, guys, that's it for episode 105 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. We had a lot of information in this episode. So go on over to KetoTalk.com to get full show notes for this episode. And again, go to KetoTalkFB.com if you'd like to chat with your fellow Ketonians on Facebook. Well, Will, uh, another one in the can. We're rolling along here. Uh, is your book done? It's done. It is on Amazon pre-order, Ketotarian, but yeah, it's not coming out to August 28th. Yeah, Ketotarian, you guys, is the name of the book. Uh, definitely go check it out. Uh, it's it's going to show the vegan community that keto isn't the voodoo uh, kind of diet that they thought it was, and it's going to show the keto community, you know, look, if you, if you mix in a few kind of vegetarian, uh, mostly vegan, type of meals to your plan every once in a while, that's not a bad thing. So I, I love that you're marrying these two seemingly opposite communities into one. So that's pretty cool. Thanks, Jimmy. And then my new book is coming out on April the 10th called The Keto Cure with Dr. Adam Nally. 
And we're going to have a very special surprise for you guys because Dr. Nally, cheesy as he is, is going to be back here co-hosting with me for that one week that our book comes out. So definitely in a few weeks, we'll be able to have him on, talk about our new book and uh, answer questions, kind of do the keto talk thing. So we'll give uh, Will that week off, but we do appreciate you, Dr. Will Cole, and appreciate that you're here each and every week. DrWillCole.com, you guys, if you want to hire this guy, uh, if I had to go see somebody, he would be the one I'd go see. So DrWillCole.com. So guys, until next Thursday, we'll see you then. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you love Keto Talk, then drop us a review at iTunes. Thanks for joining us for today's episode, and we'll see you again next Thursday. Disc of Light.